Well, we've been excited with our Christmas party that we've been celebrating all Christmas long. Anyone partied out yet? Oh, come on. You guys are party folks. I know you want more party. Bring it on. Well, we're excited about our Christmas party. We're going to wrap this series up over this week, and hopefully you'll have a great Christmas time. But as we've been talking not so much about the celebration of the parties, and those have been great, but we've also been talking about the party of who's invited to the party. You see, we've been using the book of Matthew, which is the story of the birth of Jesus. It's the story where we get some of those Christmas images, some of those Christmas thoughts. Well, the book of Matthew was written, it's actually an ancient manuscript, written to explain the life of this person of Jesus, who we celebrate his birth at Christmas time. But before this author, his name is Matthew, and he was one of the followers of Jesus. He was spent some time around Jesus, so he had some eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did before he even got to the birth of Jesus, before he even got to the wise men, or the wise guys as we call them in our family, before he even got to the to the Mary and Joseph and the and the and the donkey and going to Bethlehem and the innkeeper and any of those images that you think are a part of Christmas, before he goes to any part of that, he starts in a very peculiar way. He starts with a genealogy. And the genealogy lists all these individuals where Jesus came from, which was kind of custom in the day. But he also, in this genealogy, Matthew strategically and almost surprisingly places people in that genealogy to list out certain individuals, to draw some attention to some people that we've said are very surprising. So when we talk about the Christmas party, you will be surprised on who's invited. Because the point that Matthew's making is that Jesus doesn't just come for sinners, he comes from sinners. And some of these sinners, some of these people are the most despicable people that you could actually come, actually mention. And when he mentions those, he also suggests that if he comes from sinners, that could also mean there's hope for us here uh, during Christmas. So before I dive into the story even more, let me just mention one, a couple different things that we've mentioned as far as our party rules. One of the things that we've mentioned here during our Christmas party is one of the ideas is that everyone is invited. The more you interact with Jesus, the more you interact with a church that's following Jesus, you should know that you're always invited to the expression of the Jesus fellowship together. The group of people that get together are always open to receive more people. That was a a key concept, both in Jesus' life, but also tied into the work that Jesus did in his life to help us and to offer us hope and peace. We are all invited. There's a couple other things that we want to mention to that, that Jesus is here, and we mentioned about ways that you can interact with that, as far as some devotionals that you could pick on the way out. But I also want to mention one other thing there at the top, that giving is better than receiving. Now, some of you are so good at this, especially at Christmas time, but I'll give you a little hint, okay? That is true all the time. Come December 26th, December 27th, December 28th, giving is still better than receiving. Come some random day in the middle of March, guess what? Giving is still better than receiving. And that will be part of our culture here at Davidson Free Methodist Church. And we always want you to engage with that. We've got two different ways that you can engage with that. This Christmas, before you go, you can hit our giving tree on the way out. It's in the lobby. And you can take an ornament from there. And and one of the ornaments is a soccer ball. 
And if you give money, I think we're asking for a suggested donation of $20. If you give money, that $20 will go to support a refugee soccer camp that they're putting on for Syrian refugees in Jordan. Uh, not in Jordan, in Dearborn. <laughs> they're from Syria. <laughs> And then the other, uh, the other thing that you can take off is a kind of a printout of a turkey. And if you give some money there, you can support a turkey. And the turkeys are going to go to New Life Village in Haiti, where we'll support the families there. They'll be given a turkey. Now, they're probably not going to eat that turkey for Christmas. They'll probably raise that turkey and actually be a way to uh, offer them some sustainability and some income in their life. So there's two ways that you can do to give back for Christmas. And there'll be more of those in the new year, too. Now, I'm excited about our series today. And I actually got a special guest here today that I'm going to invite up here in just a little bit. But actually, I want to read to you this genealogy, this so-called guest list that Matthew uses at the first part of that. And I want to let you know that today, you guys are lucky because we didn't save the best for last. We saved the worst for last. These two individuals that we're going to mention, one I guarantee you might have heard of before, the other one you may not have heard before, but these are some despicable characters that really Matthew handpicks to communicate this idea that Jesus comes not just for sinners, but from sinners. Let's dive right in, and uh, this is what it says. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now just hold your thought for a second on Judah and Tamar. We'll circle back there in a moment. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Now let me know, if Mary and I ever have a fourth child, we're going to name it Ram. Especially if it's a girl. Ram, the father of Anibadab, and that'll be their middle name, Anibadab. Anibadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Do you remember that two weeks ago when we talked about the person of Rahab? Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Do you remember last week when we talked about the person of Ruth? Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of, you know this name, not just David, but King David. David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife, another man's wife. Wow. That's pretty scandalous, don't you think? Well, I've got a special guest here today. I've actually asked Pastor Emma to come up and kind of uh, help to deliver our message with us. Yeah, look at that round of applause. You, you've got a You've got a fan club over there. So um, uh, Emma's going to share a little bit of this message. We've, we've picked two particular people from this that are some pretty terrible people. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to tell the story, and I'll play the part. And I've got some special hats to wear to help you play the part. Are you ready? Yes. All right, so who are we talking about first? Judah. Judah. Okay, let me get my Judah hat. I don't know if Judah had a beard, but he does now. All right. Okay, Go ahead. so if you guys remember in Genesis, there's Jacob, who later becomes known as Israel, and he had 12 sons that were the tribes of Israel. So when you guys think of Jacob, probably the first son you think of is Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Well, actually, 
Joseph is not the one who is in the line of Jesus. And so Judah, who's the fourth son, is actually the one. And so around the time that his brothers um, were throwing Joseph in the well, Judah actually decided to leave and go to Canaan, where he married um, a Canaanite woman who actually had another god. And so this woman and him got married. They had three sons. Their names were Ur, Onan, and Shayla. If I have a son, I'm going to name him Ur. I, I think. think we should just call him Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Ur actually marries Tamar, which if you remember that name from the genealogy, Ur and Tamar get married, but Ur is seen as wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and so he is killed. And so, um, what's supposed to happen back then is so that Tamar has an heir and is still a part of the family, she actually... um, the second brother is supposed to provide her with an heir. So Onan is supposed to do this, and he decides that he does not want to provide his brother with an heir that would not be his own child. And so he's also seen as wicked in the eyes of the Lord and is killed. And so now we have two out of the three of Judah's sons killed, and he kind of blames this on Tamar a little bit. And so he tells her, okay, put on your widow clothes, go home to your parents, and then when my third son, Shayla, is old enough, I will, I'll come and get you, I'll let you know, and then um, you can have Shayla. And so um, what happens is she goes home, and she waits, and she waits, and she waits, and Shayla is now old enough But Judah has not fulfilled his promise. He has fear. He's afraid what will happen to his third son if he gives him to Tamar. And so what happens is Judah's wife dies and he decides to go to her temple to worship her God. And um, we have a verse up here that shows what happens next. Tamar took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance. For she saw that though Shayla had not grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. So she knew that he was going to this temple, and she decided to put a veil on. She felt like she had no other choice um, and disguised herself as a prostitute. So that was kind of like a normal thing back then at these temples to have these prostitutes there. And see, so Judah sees her. And goes up to her and propositions her and says, I will give you um, a goat. And I guess that's the going rate back then. Um, But he says, I will give you a goat if you spend the night with me. And she says, well, I need a marker. So she takes his seal and his staff. And then they spend the night together. And so later Judah gets his servant to go and find this temple prostitute. And she's not there. And he asks around and says, where is this? Where is this temple prostitute? And they said, there's never been someone there. And so he goes back to Judah and he says, Judah, she has your staff, she has your rod, um, your seal. What are you going to do? And he says, okay, I don't want people to know. He's kind of embarrassed. He thinks it will kind of disgrace him a little bit. So he says, let's just forget about it. Let her keep those things and uh, it'll be fine. And so three months passed and we have... Um, Judah finds something out about Tamar. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. So the very thing that he just did three months ago, he finds out that his daughter-in-law did, and has her brought out, wants her brought out and burned to death. And so she sends a note to him, and says, the owner of this seal and this staff is the father of my twin babies. And sure enough, the owner of the seal and the staff is Judah. And so here he is um, making mistake after mistake, trying to cover it up, and then trying to burn Tamar for what she did when he did the same thing. And so he realizes what he did. Um, 
And Tamar has twin boys. And if you notice in the genealogy, um, those twin boys, Judah and Tamar's kids, are the ones that Jesus is um, in line of. And so it isn't one of um, Judah's other sons or with his wife. It is Tamar and Judah's twin boys um, that Perez that Jesus is in line of. So if you look at the genealogy, we have many, many people mentioned. And uh, yeah, and so these people are the people that Jesus is. You know, I mean... This this sounds pretty bad. I'm feeling pretty guilty wearing a hat for Judah because I don't know if I want to be associated with him anymore. And we've got even one more to go? Yeah. Another person? All right, well, let me put on that hat. Maybe that'll get a little better. Okay. I doubt it will. David is our next All one. All right, I'll, go, I'll put that hat on. Go ahead, keep telling that story. So if we go further down the lineage, we will see David. And most of the time when people think of David and Goliath, you think, or when you think of David, you think of David and Goliath. So David becomes king, and he is actually seen as a man who is after God's own heart. So this is maybe someone that you want to be, Shane, because he's seen as being after okay. God's own that heart, right? Redeemable. Yeah. Yeah. So this cool man who is king, he actually doesn't do something so great. So he, this is a time of war, and he's in his palace, and he goes out on his palace, and he's looking around over his kingdom, and he looks over, and he sees someone on their roof bathing. And her name is Bathsheba, and he thinks she's the most beautiful thing that he's ever seen. And so the catch is that she actually is Uriah's wife, who is one of his top generals. But he thinks she's so beautiful, he doesn't care, he summons her. And they spend the night together, and then she comes to him and says, Hey, guess what? Pregnant with your child. And so he doesn't know what to do. He tries to cover this up. And so he sends for Uriah to come back from the battle. Says, Hey, Uriah, why don't you take some time off? Go spend some time with your wife. Rest. Drink. And he's trying to get Uriah to go home to his wife. But Uriah says, I'm not going home because my men are still fighting. And so I don't feel right. So he sleeps outside of David's door instead. And so David, his trick didn't work, so he decides next to try something different. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. So first he tries to trick him, then he tries to make him drunk, and Uriah is still not falling for it. He sleeps on David's mat, and he will not go home to his wife. So David doesn't know what to do. He made this mistake. And so he does the next thing he can think of. He goes to his servant and he says, in a letter David wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is fiercest and then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So first he tricks him, he makes him drunk, and now he decides to kill him based off of this sin that he did. And so after the morning time is over, he dies right away. There's morning time and then he does this. After the time mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and Bathsheba became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David did had displeased the Lord. So then he takes Bathsheba as his wife. So he's fine. He has, he killed Uriah, he has Bathsheba as his wife, and they have a son together. But the man who's seen as having being after God's own heart has displeased the Lord. And then the ending to this story is that the baby dies. The baby dies. And so what happens is David goes through all of these things, and then the baby ends up dying anyway. And so if you notice, again, in the genealogy, it is mentioned specifically Bathsheba um, as Uriah's wife. 
And so the sin that he committed is in the gene genealogy. Their son is actually what leads to Jesus. But that's a pretty bad, right? Yeah, I'm taking this hat off too because that guy's pretty, pretty nasty. So, so we talk a lot about this idea. And, and basically what we're talking about here is we're talking about these two individuals and their worst day ever. Maybe you have one of those. Maybe you have something, maybe it happened recently, maybe it happened a long time ago. But you think that maybe in the back of your mind, maybe someone would catch the tape of that. Or catch it down on a, a, in writing. And then later on, when they share a story, they share a story specifically of you, and they include that story. I mean, David had did other things. Matthew doesn't include those stories in the genealogy. He says, Uriah's wife. Not even Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And, and David doesn't, I mean, and Matthew doesn't include the other stories of Judah. He talks specifically about Tamar, his worst day ever. Have you had a worst day ever? Have you done something that, that you're shamed of? Have you done something that has, has produced this idea of, of um, guilt and shame in your life? What I'm talking about is what we call around uh, these, this area called sin. Now some of you might say, well, I, I know what sin is. Sin is this, and this is not sin. And, and we try to define what sin is, like what could sin be. But I want to talk more about what sin does. And you guys know this. Ultimately, sin separates you from God. Now, as Emma and I were talking, I had her kind of tell the stories, me wear the funny hat, and then as each the story got worse and worse and worse, did you see me walk over to the side? Do you see me try to produce this level of separation? This is what sin does. It separates you from God. And maybe there's a time in your life where you felt close to God, but that will never happen through the level of sin. Sin separates us from God. And we feel this separation. We feel this, man, if I could only go back to that time when I was close to God, if I only could go back and do something to fix that. But sin doesn't just separate us from God. It also does something else. It damages your relationships. Now, some of you know this because some of you have done something to hurt someone directly. A sin that you've done to separate yourself with them, to, to, to actually hurt that relationship. And you realize that maybe it takes years. Sometimes it, it never really repairs that relationship, does it? Maybe it's something specific that you've done. The way you've talked behind someone's back. The way you lied to them. The way you cheated them. The way you hurt them. You sinned against them and it damages that relationship. But sin also damages relationships we don't intend to damage. Kind of like collateral damage. We do something and the people that are close to us pay the penalty for something we never intended them to do. Maybe your addiction to pornography affects the relationship with your wife or your husband. Maybe your, your workaholic experience at work, the way you seek and, and follow your own selfish desires for success and your family pays the price because they don't see you. You're chasing greed and success, and your family 
pays the price. You guys know this, that sin doesn't just separate us from God, but sin damages our relationships here on earth. But more than that, sin blocks you from your purpose. Now, I believe that each one of us has a purpose that God implants in us, that God loves us, that God wants to use us. And the only way that we can really find peace and fulfillment is living out that purpose that he's called us to do. But that can never be found if you're chasing your own selfishness and your own endeavors to fill what indulges you, if that's your goal, you will never be able to find the fulfillment and the peace that comes in following God and the purpose he has for your life. And finally, and probably the most scary thing that happens because of sin in our lives is it creates a culture of fear. All of us try to create these kind of walls around our sin. We try to hide our sin. We try to put our sin away. And it creates this monster called shame and guilt. And this monster begins to rule our lives. And we make decisions in our lives based upon that monster of shame and guilt. We don't want everyone to find out that secret sin, that skeleton in the closet, that hidden addiction. And so we do whatever we can in our lives to hide that, to move on from that, to forget about about that let me tell you guys what you have hidden sometime in your life will come out it will be made known in the meantime this monster of guilt and shame has overtaken you and produced things in your life like robbing you of your confidence producing depression and anxiety in your life because you're trying to maintain these regrets. Maintain these safety walls. Maintain this culture of fear. You guys know this. You've experienced this. Now these are some pretty despicable things that, uh, that Judah and David have done. And I don't know if we got any of those in our midst today, but we all struggle with sin. You were sharing a story just recently, just this week, where you engaged some guilt and shame. Would you mind sharing that with the rest yeah, of us? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that a lot of times we read these stories and we think, well, I'm fine because I'm not a king and I didn't see someone bathing and kill her wife or her husband. So, but we do get into these things and these things do come um, into our lives. And so um, I have an example this week. Um, I've been Christmas shopping a lot, and I know you guys have been too. And um, along with Christmas shopping comes when people ask you what gifts you want as well. And so one gift that I really wanted was a weighted blanket. So I really wanted this weighted blanket, and I told my boyfriend that's what I wanted. And so I was talking about how excited I was about it, and he goes, wait a second, you told me heated blanket. Like, I did not tell you heated blanket. I would never want a heated blanket. And sure enough, he showed me the text message and I said heated blanket. And so he got me this heated blanket off of Amazon. And he told me he would cancel the order. I'm like, okay. So he leaves the room. And I'm thinking, I don't want a heated blanket. I don't want him to spend this much money. And he's the type of person that will take three weeks to cancel something. And so... I don't want him to not cancel it. And so I look over and he left his phone in the room. And I know the passcode to his phone. So this is where it gets bad. So I grab his phone and I look and I go to his Amazon account and I look and I see his order and every single present that he's bought me. <laughs> so 
So I see this heated blanket and I think, I don't want him to spend this much money. I don't want a heated blanket. He's not going to cancel it himself. And I press the cancel button. And the second I press this cancel button, I screamed because I realized what I did. He's going to see that I saw all the orders. I'm going to have to tell him I canceled it for a present that he got me himself. So I put the phone down, I go into another room, and about two minutes later, he walks in and says, did you cancel my Amazon order? <laughs> no. <laughs> and so I convinced him, I somehow convinced him that he canceled it himself the night before. And so we're spending the whole day, and he's going, I can't believe I did this, I don't remember doing this. And I'm just going, uh-huh, yeah. And so I... Because I was so fearful of what he would say when I told him that I canceled it myself. I thought that he would think I was crazy or get mad at me or something. But there was a moment where I felt like I was fine. He was convinced that he did it himself the night before. And I would never ever have to tell him. And I don't need the heated blanket. I don't get to have the heated blanket. And so there was a moment where I thought I was fine. Well, Emma, um, that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't want to leave people at this point of uh, negativity because I do think that there is some hope. In fact, I know that there is some hope because we're talking about Jesus here. And so what I want to do, I want you to do is I want, want to dive back into the Christmas story, the story that we're aware of. And I want you to kind of think about and maybe draw out some points where we see these names of Judah and David being intentionally brought back into the story to see how we might see God's uh, not making sin be the end of the story, but there's something else. Why don't you walk us through that? Yeah, so in Matthew, we hear about um, Jesus being born in his birth story. And um, in Matthew 1, it reads, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had mind to, to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So if you notice, he purposely brings out David here. Um, he doesn't bring up anyone else in the genealogy, David. And when people read this, um, especially back then, they would know about David. They would know what David did. And so he's purposely brought out um, into this story. And then in Matthew 2, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born to born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem was with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was born to be. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so the land of Judah and Judah himself are mentioned in these stories. And I think it's to show you that the sin that they did was not the end of their story. That was not the end. There's hope and there's redemption that is brought about 
from their sin. If you notice in the genealogy, um, Tamar is mentioned, and I said before, Uriah's wife is mentioned. Their sin is specifically mentioned in Jesus' genealogy to bring us to the point of where Jesus is, to show us that Jesus comes from sinners, but there is hope and there is redemption in him coming to earth as a baby. I think that's so key, and that's what we want you to leave with today. I want you to leave with the idea that, yes, you have sin, and that sin has separated you from God. That there is this separation between God being here and you being wherever you might be. But because of that sin, that sin doesn't have to define you. That sin doesn't have to be the end of your story. That there is hope. In fact, let me say it this way. Some of us see sin as a way that God is mad at us. That God is, is just waiting to smack us around when we sin, to get us back. The proverbial uh, a lightning bolt, so to speak, when we mess up. Well, let me tell you this. There's some truth to this. That God isn't mad at you. He's mad about you. Do you realize the lengths of what he went to to restore relationship with you? Your sin hasn't caused him to forget you. Make him angry with you? To make him displeased with you? He loves you. Loves you so much to the extent that he gave part of himself, his only son, to die for you. As a payment for your sins. You see, the way the law goes, sin requires death. You sin, something has to die. Ultimately, if unpaid, you will die for your sins. But God says, I got a better way. I will send my son, part of me, God himself, to come and save them from their sins. And this perfect sacrifice dies in your place and pays the penalty for your sins. So now there's a way. You don't have to die there's a way back to God. Here, let me say it this way. Here's another point that you might need to, to understand today. You don't have to understand this grace, this mercy, this hope, this gift of God to receive it. Some of you think, I need to have it all figured out. I need, I need to make sure I, I understand how this is going. Why would someone offer me something and expect nothing in return? Why would someone want to do something with this? What do you, why do you mean that my sin has implications in my life? I don't quite understand all of this. This is so hard to work out. Well, that's okay. You don't have to have it all worked out. In fact, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't even have to be dressed right, talk right, look right for His grace to be available for you today. You don't have to look the part. You don't have to talk the part. All you need to do is come to him and receive the gift that he has for you. Let me say it this way too. Let me say it this way too. That Jesus has paid, took care of our sin so that we could live out our purpose. Remember I talked about purpose? Remember I talked about the idea of finding this truth that you are destined for and the reason you can't find peace, the reason you can't find hope, the reason you can't find this sense of purpose or fulfillment in life is because of your sin. But let me tell you, he covered that. This distance thing that we just talked about, God being here and you being off some other place because of your sin, and you've tried to work your way back, you've tried to work it off, you've tried to do good deeds to balance out the bad ones, and it doesn't cover the distance, does it? 
You still feel that distance. And so you try to do things to hide it. You try to do things to, to disguise it and to push it away. And that doesn't work either. Well, let me tell you that the cross that Jesus died on, when he died for your sins, isn't just a symbol we see. If you lay that cross down, that cross covers that distance. That cross isn't just a piece of wood. That cross is a bridge that connects you back to God. And that truth is the truth evident in the person of Jesus, in the purpose of Christmas, the purpose that Jesus came not just for sinners, but from sinners, so that their story isn't defined in their sin. Their story is something else. Oh, Emma, yeah, Shane, yeah, yeah. in terms of my separation yes. and my sin, um, yeah, it wasn't think, the end of the story. I think you need to tell them in the story. Or, yeah. Or they're going to they're gonna hate you forever. <laughs> so. <laughs> so here I am thinking that I'm fine, that I'll never have to confess what I did. Um, until later that night, he walks up to me and he looks right at me and says, look me in the eye and tell me you did not do this. <laughs> There's nothing I can do at that point. I'm stuck. I have to confess what I did. There's a moment in the stories with Uriah's wife and David and with Judah and Tamar where Judah and David think that they're fine. There's three months where Judah heard nothing from the prostitute and he can cover up what he did. There's moments where um, David has Bathsheba and Uriah's dead and he's fine. They think they're fine until that sin comes back to them. Until they're being looked at in the face saying, tell me you did not do this. Where you have to do something else to cover that separation. And I think that that's key. And I'm glad that, that he forgave you. Because I think that's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, we worked through it. It's All right, okay. You're, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Took some time, yeah. but it's okay. Hey, so the band's going to join us here. And here's how we want to close, okay? Because I want to talk to you about one specific thing that goes beyond a little more about what we talked about. I know I mentioned before about this monster that you've created in your life to cover your sin. Then, and, it, and it wreaks havoc on your emotions. It wreaks havoc on what you do. It wreaks havoc on your potential and your purpose. And this guilt and shame that you experience, let me tell you, this, this is a hard thing for you to, to, to grab a hold of. The only way to defeat guilt and shame is through confession. Now, some of you who have a Catholic background just kind of wiggled a little bit in your seat because you heard the word confession. Let me talk about what confession means. Confession means bringing what was hidden out in the open, to verbalize it, to give it a name, to bring it out. And let me tell you, this is the way God sees confession. He says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all iniquities. He says that if you confess your sins to one another, you will be healed. The power of defeating that monster that has ruled your life can only be found in confession, can only be found in you verbalizing that to him in a safe place, knowing that he's not going to smack you down. He's not going to look at you and go, shame, 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 I know your name. He's going to say, finally, Dear son and dear daughter, I have worked so hard to have you back with me. Let me take that burden. Let me take that pain. Let me take the guilt and the shame and kill that monster and offer you the freedom and the potential that you can find. Some of you 
need to offer that level of confession to someone else. That it will never really take root until you verbalize it to someone else. You've maybe gone the little, the little closet, went home with Jesus and said, Dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. And it doesn't work for you. You need to bring it out in the open. Let me tell you, we are all sinners here. We have all messed up. We've all experienced that separation from God. And there's nothing that we could do to cover that except Jesus. And so we know what it's like. I know what it's like. And so if you need someone to confess something to, you need to deal with that this morning. Let me tell you, there's a way. We'd love to offer that to you. If you need to come and use these altars, to use these spaces here, to put down a marker in your life, to say, remember that day in December in 2019 where I finally confessed my sin. I brought it out in the open, and therefore shame and guilt don't rule me anymore. If you need that, it's here. If you need us as a safe place to offer your confession to, to look us in the eye and say, Shane, I know you might be upset with me. Shane, I know you're going to think bad of me, but fill in the blank. And let me tell you, we will have nothing, nothing but grace and mercy for you. If we could be that for you, me, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Emma, Pastor John, other people on the pastoral staff would love to offer that for you today, to give you that chance to be free. Here it is, guys. Here it is. Here it is. You got to hear this. You got to hear this. In Matthew, when the angel appears, the, the author goes out of his way to say that the angel looks to Joseph, who would end up his right, his earthly father would give him the name. That's the earthly right of the father. And he says, when that baby comes out, when that baby is born, this baby that's not your baby, it's born of the Holy Spirit, it's not your baby, but when that baby comes out, you give him the name Yeshua. You give him the name Yeshua. Close to Joshua. And literally that name means the Lord saves. He's not going to save you from Rome. He's not going to save you from earthly powers. He is here to save you from your sins. Do you realize the power in the person of Jesus? God in the flesh offered for you. Guys, we have a Savior. Some sin, this problem of sin, we could never solve on ourselves. We could never fix on ourselves. But now we have a Savior. It's open for you. If we can help you in any way, we would love to do that. Why don't you stand with us? Father, we, we love you and we thank you for the truth that you are a Savior. We pray that today would be the day of salvation for someone here today. That they would experience the peace and the hope that comes from bearing their sins and handing them over to you, which you've already paid for. And Father, we just want to praise you and thank you and ask your Holy Spirit to move in this moment. We acknowledge the fact, the great truth, the great joy that it brings that we have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. A child has